This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by Carrie Neifeld, Commissioner for the State Office of People with Developmental Disabilities, who on Wednesday was at the Capitol to announce a new campaign addressing stigma around people with disabilities and also unveiled an exhibit outside the Capitol on the progress of care for New Yorkers with special needs over the last half century. Welcome back to the show, Commissioner. Thanks for having me. So when it comes to this anti-stigma campaign, what are the misperceptions or outdated ideas you're hoping to address? And how is the state planning on going about doing that? With this campaign, what we're trying to do is really show that people with developmental disabilities are so much more than just their developmental disability. And I think, you know, society in general still has misbeliefs about people with developmental disabilities and disabilities in general and what they're capable of and what they can contribute. And really, when you break it down, people with developmental disabilities can contribute in all the same ways that you and I can, right? They're capable of all the same types of things. Sometimes, you know, additional supports are needed to help them achieve certain goals. Um, And we're trying to get society to join us, right, in embracing the role that people with developmental disabilities have in our communities and the contributions that they can make. And so this campaign is really designed to highlight the multifacets of people, right, students, dancers, entrepreneurs, small business owners, all the different things that you and I are. When you look around the landscape right now and think about the consequences of misconceptions or outdated ideas, what does that mean for the lives of people with disabilities right now? How do those outdated ideas impact them today? It leads to isolation, right? It leads to, um, you know, people not being able to live to their fullest potential. It leads to, you know, businesses not understanding the benefits that integrated workforce can have for them. And so then they don't have that integrated workforce. And, you know, that means that people with developmental disabilities lose out on those opportunities to be employed. But then also, People with developmental disabilities don't see themselves in the same places where you or I see ourselves. So you or I walk into a grocery store or a hotel or, or anywhere, right, to buy a good or a service, and we see ourselves, right? We're, we're working with people who look just like us. People with developmental disabilities don't see that representation. Um, and so it looks like the world is closed off to them when really it's not. So is this campaign then going to be broadly focused or for something like employment opportunities, are you going to be doing specific outreach to employers in New York? Yeah, it's a great question. I think this campaign really complements our strategic plan, which you and I have talked about, um, and some of the goals and objectives in our strategic plan, which is really very focused on those goals, right, on on integration, on making the world more open for people with developmental disabilities and ensuring that we have the supports and services so folks can achieve those goals, whether it be going to school, getting a job, getting their own apartment. So the campaign really complements directly the work that we're already doing. And hopefully they work together, right, in tandem as we're out there over the next several years trying to achieve the goals of our strategic plan. So how might listeners begin to see this campaign in their everyday life? Is it going to be popping up on social media? Are there physical ads that are going to be out in the world? Are you planning on buying up all the time from the Capitol Press Room? What's your plan of attack here? All of that. Yeah. Social media, we're going to be launching today on social media. Um, You're going to see it on bus, you know, bus campaigns. Um, We're thinking about billboards, definitely TV and radio, Um, all the places that people consume, um, you know, their media. um, We're going to be having those campaigns. Just today we were talking about with our staff how, you know, everywhere you go, you see campaigns or, you know, commercials for Oasis or OMH and the services they provide. So we're, you know, intending to, to do the same thing. And hopefully that helps people to just begin to think, right? You know, ask themselves the question. They see the ad, they see the campaign. And that starts to change the way people think. And then that, coupled with the work that we're doing, um, we hope will lead to a meaningful difference for people. When you think about the people that you need to reach out to for a campaign like this, does it run the gamut of everybody 
from young to old? Or do you feel like when it comes to young people with so many issues, they're more cognizant of the diversity of their peers and, and the abilities of their peers? Or does this need to be targeted to, to young people as well? I think it's relevant for everyone. I think we tried to create the campaign in a way that was relevant for everyone. But you're right. I, and I think in, you know, the system that we, you know, the system that we operate in the, you know, the work that we do with our stakeholders, you can definitely see, um, you know, young people embracing people with developmental disabilities um, and embracing the opportunities for people with developmental disabilities in different ways. Even, you know, the, the, the you know, the young people that we work with as an agency you see them wanting different things out of life, right? Which is really exciting and wonderful. Um, so I do think that there's, you know, there can be a difference in the way that, you know, younger versus older people embrace people with developmental disabilities. But I think the campaign is really, you know, targeted for people um, from, you know, diverse backgrounds. And in constructing this campaign, how did you go about soliciting input from New Yorkers with disabilities or consumer advocates? Um, our communications team had um, a work group. They called it a creative cafe of people, and it was uh, comprised of people with lived experience of developmental disabilities from diverse backgrounds. Um, it was really important to us. And as an agency, one of our big goals is really to diversify the stakeholders that we're working with, you know, working with different communities from different cultural backgrounds, communities of color, different socioeconomic backgrounds. So we were really intentional when creating this work group um, that it, you know, it really had representation from multiple different communities. So, you know, people who identify um, as having a disability or self-advocates family members, members of our staff um, and providers, you know, really trying to have the conversation about what it means to combat stigma. When you think about the outreach campaign that's been constructed now, are there any elements of it or guiding principles of it that you think are particularly informed by that outreach? Maybe people had uh, some sort of input that really changed the way the communications team was thinking about this, because if you're not a person with a disability, obviously won't approach things the same way. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think the way and even just the way that we, you know, talk about people with developmental disabilities, right? I think that that, you know, having those conversations with people um was it was really informative to us about how we, you know, craft the language in a way that people feel like they're included and that they're part of the campaign and that, you know, they're not being spoken to, right? But, you know, that we're joining alongside of them in this campaign. Um and I think our imagery, right? Our imagery was really we focused on updating the images to make sure that we really are you know, when this campaign is splashed around and you're seeing people, again, like what we were talking about, that people are seeing themselves, right? So, like I said, different cultural backgrounds, communities of color, um, you know, people doing different things, um, people with different types of disabilities, right? Even within the developmental disabilities community, right? There are, you know, different um, different disabilities and making sure that, you know, that, that that spectrum is also represented with this campaign. So in addition to announcing this campaign uh, Wednesday, you also highlighted an exhibit in the Empire State Plaza outside the Capitol that documents some of the way that the care of people with special needs has progressed uh, over the last 50 years since the scandalous expose of care at the Willowbrook School uh, on Staten Island. What do you hope to convey with this exhibit? What's the message you're hoping to get across? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Willowbrook over the last year, um, you know, commemorating um, the 50th, you know, anniversary of the expose and the 35th anniversary of the closure. Um, and I think it's so important that we continue, right, to to make sure that people have awareness. You know, 50 years ago, it was exposed. And, you know, I've, I've talked to my parents about what it was like when they were young, growing up, seeing that kind of thing happen. But a whole generation of New Yorkers, right, has grown up without knowing, right, about these atrocities that happened because, so many people's minds like that couldn't happen again. Right. But I think it's really important that we continue to keep that at the forefront so that we don't let that happen again. Right. And that we do recognize 
and sort of in honor what happened there, you know, so that, again, like I said, it, it pushes us to continue to work forward and we don't forget what happened there. And it could be really easy to now in the system that we operate now to see that that could never happen again. But we have to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And in documenting the history over the last 50 years, does the picture you paint with this exhibit represent a straight line of continuously improving care or does it reflect the clear road bumps uh, along the way? Yeah, I think what it represents is sort of a changing understanding, right, on behalf of the system, right? I think, you know, you see we go from, you know, this mass institutionalization to developmental centers, you know, across the state, multiple developmental centers that were smaller institutions, right, um, with a different type of intention, um, but still, right, you know, places that were segregated from society where people with developmental disabilities went to live and receive their services. Um, then you see sort of a transition from that to group homes, right, and people living in smaller group homes, you know, sprinkled within communities, getting services within the community and continued focus on integration. Um, when we talked about our strategic plan, you know, one of our big focuses is on, you know, further integrating, right, and, and continuing to develop supportive housing, independent housing, you know, continuing to move services from site-based programs like day habs, you know, and, and really into the community, helping people to get those employment opportunities if that's what they're interested in or pursue educational opportunities. So I think you see that when you look at that timeline, right? The evolving, changing understanding and really the evolution of that advocacy movement, right? And people with developmental disabilities finding their voices, talking about what they needing, what they need um, to be successful and the system in the state, you know, responding to that. And I do think obviously, you know, road bumps along the way, right? We're all sort of learning. Um, but I think what you see is that partnership between the state agency and our advocacy community, self-advocates, their families, and our providers. In the coverage of Willowbrook that was spearheaded by investigative reporter Geraldo Rivera, seems odd to say that, uh, there's a portion of that series where then-Congressman uh, Biagi is speaking with an official at Willowbrook, and the person is trying to explain why things are the way they are, why the conditions are the way they are. And uh, the person responds essentially that, we're doing what we can with the resources that we have. So when we fast forward to today, we've heard from some people who argue that it's great to move away from the institutionalization, but if you don't have the resources to adequately address, say, the group homes or to ensure that people can do all the day programs that they want to do, then it doesn't matter about your intent to moving away from institutionalization. So when you think about resources right now, does the field whether it's OPWDD facilities or facilities you license, have adequate resources to ensure that you don't have some of the problems that appeared in institutional settings appearing in smaller, more community-based settings? It's a great question. Not an easy question. You know, we are a well-resourced agency, um, and I think we have, you know, on top of that, we have, you know, the strength, like I said, of, of our advocacy and our partnership with the advocates. Um, it's like no other state agency that I've ever, you know, worked with, and I've worked with many, um, the partnership with our advocate community, um, people with developmental disabilities to really understand what's needed on the ground. Um, and of course, I think there are a lot of, um, you know, requests from from advocates about additional funding and different ways that we can invest. But we are continuing always to look at our system to how we can um, improve upon the services that we provide, to how we can improve the conditions in homes like that, uh, like group homes across the state. You've seen with Governor Hochul, you know, consecutive budgets where she's, um, you know, invested heavily into our system the first year, a 5.4 percent COLA, which was really sort of an unprecedented 
cost of living adjustment that went to the whole field this past budget, a 4% cost of living adjustment that went to the whole field. That amounts to close to a billion dollars in investments to our um, voluntary sector. On top of that, investments in the state-operated workforce. We've been doing a lot of partnerships across the state um, with our voluntary providers to help provide credentialing and additional training to our direct support professionals. We're out um, on the road all last summer, coming up on another campaign all this summer to really talk about our strategic plan, to talk about the goals and objectives there, um, and not just talk about those written words on paper, but how we can actually, you know, be bringing those actions, um, you know, into the lives of people with developmental disabilities, how our providers can, you know, continue to, um, you know, contribute to the success of those goals. So, like, I think any other, right, you know, system, and I think, like, we're having, you know, we're seeing across the country now, right, challenges with workforce and having to really rethink, right, what does it mean to provide meaningful employment and how do we continue to attract and retain really great staff, which I think we have incredible staff across the state. So we're struggling with all those same things that other human services agencies are, but I think that we're, um, you know, we're really laser focused on making those investments where where they matter um, so that the ultimate goal, seeing the lives of people with developmental disabilities improved, can be met. Do you think there's a correlation between the ceiling in the quality of care that can be provided and the investments both in uh, terms of the workforce, whether it's wages or the amount of employees that a nonprofit or a state-run facility can actually have uh, on the ground? Uh, is there a relationship between that? Can you know you only go so far in terms of quality based on the level of investment? So... Since I took um, the position of commissioner at OPWDD, I've traveled all across the state. I've spent a ton of time on the road, and you know my goal is to get to every county, which I haven't achieved yet, but I will. Um, but Chuck Schumer would be very disappointed in you. I will get there. Um, you know, I've been probably to you know maybe a hundred, over a hundred of our providers across the state, and really just you know being in the homes with people, going to the day hubs, you know, seeing employment opportunities, you know, in the community. So, you know, the dedicated staff across the state is incredible, both state operated and voluntary. And these are people who they love what they do, right? They're so committed to this work. Do I think that there is a correlation? It's, you know, I don't have data and it's it's really hard to, I think, use data to make that. I think it, you know, we are constantly looking at ways that we can improve training opportunities where we see abuse and neglect, understanding what's happening there, creating, whether it be guidance documents, training materials, like I said, bringing in the National Association for Direct Support Professionals to provide credentialing um, so that we can see the um, professionalism of our staff improved. And then again, right, the care and support for people with developmental disabilities improved. And, you know, of course, we hear about stories of abuse and neglect. And of course, that happens. And it's never okay when it happens. And we don't tolerate it. We investigate every instance of abuse and neglect. But so much more often, the story that's not told is these incredible folks across the state who take their jobs so seriously and do everything they can to adequately um, support and you know provide care for in those instances where that's appropriate, people with developmental disabilities. And I think that that happens far more often, which is not to say that, like I said, when it happens, it's not acceptable. We investigate it. We do everything we can to combat it and address it. But I think you know the staff across the state are doing an incredible job. Well, finally, on that success front, uh, the Delaware County arc is often held up as this model of success because of its low rate uh, comparatively of abuse and neglect complaints, as well as seemingly a happier workforce. So in your travels, have, have you gotten a chance to explore their model and their uh, shift happens uh, way of thinking about things? And if so, what do you think about that model can be replicated 
elsewhere. I mean, can the Delaware County success be happening in all 62 counties? That's a great question. I haven't been there, um, but that's part of, and I can add it to my list, I can get there. Um, but it's part of the purpose, right, of of me being around the state. Obviously, it's my job as the commissioner to be out there and for people to see me and for me to see people. But it's really to gather information, to understand what's working, what's not working, so that I can come back and I can say to the team in central office or across the state in the regional offices, you know, this is a really cool thing that I saw happening. This day program is like, you know, off the wall. It's great. People are happy. They love it. You know, what are they doing right? How can we scale that? And I think we're always trying to do that. Um, you know, we've had a lot of focus on um, innovation, um, using some of the um, American Rescue Plan Act uh, money to do the, just that, you know, to seek innovation and to provide grants to providers to do innovative and cool things so we can see what works and, and how we scale it. So we're always trying to look, whether it's the Delaware, um, you know, our chapter or other providers across the state. Um, you know, I think that there's always things um, that are unique and sort of nuanced about the programs that you can't scale because, you know, some of it is just like the magic of what's happening there. Something in the water in yeah. county. It's a great county. Um, but we, you know, there's always something that you can pull, right, that's scalable. There's a nugget there that's something that's working, right? How are they, you know, why is their workforce so happy? What can we learn from them? Well, we've been speaking with Carrie Neifeld. She is the commissioner for the State Office for People with Developmental Disabilities. Commissioner, thanks so much for visiting us. Great. Thanks for having us. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.